Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Dream Nation Love. I'm your host, Julia. Today on the show, I interview Al Fine. She's the co-founder and CEO of Dame Products. Dame started in 2014 when she met Janet Lieberman, and Janet is an MIT-trained engineer, so these toys are awesome. Now, um, I didn't have any programming planned for Women's History Month. I haven't had any programming, actually, for the whole year because I've just been moving really, really fast, and there's been a lot of stuff happening. But I decided to switch two podcasts around and put this podcast um, put this podcast in Women's History Month slot, which is March. This is why you're hearing it now. And it's mostly because Dame won a three-year-old um, court battle that they waged against the MTA. And this is a really big deal for women's rights in a way because the MTA has always had advertising on it for years. Um, my friend's company, Roe Roman, has been advertising um, rectal dysfunction for quite some time now. They plastered all of Grand Central with it. Um, breast enhancement companies get to advertise on the MTA. Plastic surgeons, lots of different companies. And it only makes sense that Dame can place their ads on the subway as well. Their ads are really beautiful if you check them out. They're absolutely gorgeous. They're like little pieces of art that deserve to be at MoMA. And um, this is a podcast about women's rights. So I hope you check it out and I hope you share it with a friend and uh, send it to a woman in your life that you admire and would get a kick out of the show. Have a great day. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for being on the show. I wanted to start at the very, very beginning, which was, uh, what was your dream as a kid? I definitely had big dreams as a kid. I, I wanted to do everything from like acting and dancing. Like I love performance um, to, I don't know, just, I mean, I, don't, I just wanted to be somebody. I also want, really wanted to be a talk show host. That was something that I thought would have been really fun. And then I wanted to be a therapist. Um, so all of that, all of that, I just, I wanted to make impact. I feel like that I, I always knew I wanted to do. It was probably the only thing that was really consistent. Right. Well, I could see a Dame talk show. You guys can have like your own <laughs> talk show powered by your own products. Like brilliant, isn't it? Yes. I think that we could do whatever we want. I do think that could be a fun thing. I mean, I do also like content as just a part of e-commerce is becoming more and more of a real thing. It is, it is. And there's so many options now. There's like, you know, digital shopping that's coming and just there's some, and like VR, it's like, oh my gosh, vibrators and VR, like augmented reality and all that tech, you know, like wearable tech and everything that that is possible that's coming soon in, in the metaverse. Definitely. I think like for me, I always like we take a human centered design approach to our products. And I also like to apply that to the brand. But I am also and to be honest, people really just want to connect with their bodies. Like a lot of like, they don't want super tech enabled products. Um, that being said, I do feel like the creativity and what could be in the future based on new technologies is really exciting. Um, but yeah, we'll see. It's like another level of um, censorship, right? How much is Meta going to give to sexuality? You know, Facebook has been so, I guess, uh, 
sensory, what's the word? <laughs> I'm like sensory. They've, they've really been censoring um, advertising, right? They censor Instagram advertising, they censor Facebook advertising. So it's like once you get into the metaverse, what is going to be allowed? What kind of sexual contact is going to be allowed? When you get into Sims, everybody was having like orgies in Sims, you know, like you can't go into the metaverse without being sexual. Like sexuality is such a huge part of us. So I, I keep on thinking, how is that going to impact your business? Can we just talk about The Sims for the next 45 minutes? <laughs> I love The yes. Sims. Um, and I love, and I think that's such a great point too. And also like people make all these modifications on Sims too. And there's like BDS Sims. Like there's a lot of sex in Sims. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's can be a little scary. Um, I mean, I think that at the end of the day though, humans are always going to need, need and want to have sex with each other. Um, and I think, I'm hopeful that we continue to create spaces that are for sex, other spaces, and can also continue to push on society in general to understand what like sexual wellness is, a different from sexual content um, in our advertisements. Because I feel like there's like a lot of nuance there, and it is really important that we have be able to discuss sexual health, sexual wellness, sexual pleasure as a part of the sexual experience in like a straightforward, frank, calm way um, without it being arousing. And I think that's really important in order to fight sexual harassment and in order for everybody to claim their sexual pleasure, to know that it is available and a part of a, a healthy life. Well, wasn't that the big um, point with MCA when they were going against your court case? They were saying that like this, your ads might turn people on on the subway. And they actually, no, you know what? They didn't really say that that much. And I think that that is because like, I, I mean, I think there was some concern around that. I know that the, I believe that the museum of sex ads on like the buses did cause some issues. And I mean, the museum of sex ads, I think had, had people like, jumping on boobs like they, oh no and they've had some much more sexually explicit imagery as art um and that's kind of i think how they you know work their story to be allowed on the mta um yeah that is re like i've seen somebody jerk off on the subway it was one of the worst experiences of my life you know it's definitely not you know I don't know about top ten. It's pretty high, though. It was not ideal. It was crazy. It was weird. But you know what? That's like every woman's initiation into being a true New Yorker. You're not a true New Yorker until you've cried on the subway and until you've seen somebody jerk off. I would like for the definition of New Yorker to be removed from like experience things that are like that, though. You know, like that shouldn't <laughs> that shouldn't be the case. And I feel like also my app, and I think that my app actually helped diminish that experience because we're here talking about it. We're here right now talking about what's right and what's wrong when it comes to sex. Not saying that sex is all good all the time. Um, and yeah, my advertisements, if you go and look at them, they're definitely not, they're not arousing in that way. Um, they're really they're beautiful. And there are so many other ads on the subways that use sex. We use sex all the time to sell products. I was going to say, your ads are so beautiful. They're really like artwork. Like I'm an art director in advertising. So I looked at your campaign. I'm like, this is gorgeous. Because you did it from um, 
testimonials, which is great. You like spoke to people, you pulled all their testimonials and you illustrated them. And they're just like absolutely gorgeous and inspiring and like eye-catching. And I was going to ask you, do you have an in-house um, ad agency or how do you do this? We do. Do you head up all of them? We have, we do some branding. We're a ragtag team. Um, it's in-house and sometimes with freelancer help. Um, but the illustrator, Sophie, um, was in-house. It looks like a Madison Avenue campaign. It's really beautiful. Thank you. So it's nice to see like startups doing like really like beautiful work that actually like pushes the boundaries of advertising. We just wanted to make it a pleasurable, beautiful experience, you know, and kind of tie that to the sensuality that our customers experience. And, you know, it kind of ties into like, um, you know, everything you can do with fundraising. When you have money, you can put artwork you know, you can put money towards an illustrator, you can put money towards a team. And I know you've done um, successful crowdfunding campaigns and you raised 4 million last year, which is so amazing for Texas. And, um, you know, again, it's having access to money. It's being able to do a product, which is crowdfunding um, inspired. I had a crowdfunding platform for a while. We, we started in 2014, it was for women and diversity. And we kicked butt, like we had so many, People funded over like two million in like a year. It's amazing. But uh, but but then my partners got divorced, so it's been in like hell. It's been just like in purgatory. So I'm going to be relaunching it again, hopefully this year. It's a little harder with a baby. Things are harder with a baby. Yeah. But I know the power of crowdfunding, and I know the power of community. And um, since you've experienced crowdfunding in itself, and then raising through VCs, um, I was going to ask you like. What is your advice for women fundraising and especially in the sex femme tech space? Yeah. Right? First of all, I would just say that crowdfunding going directly to consumers is different than going to investors, but also I think like more important work is like, you know, going to crowdfunding is a little bit more about product market fit or the way that I've done it in that like you're just trying to, you're not just, you, you are validating that people want what it is that you're creating. Um, with the actual product. So nailing that first is an amazing thing to get to do if you can do it without capital. And I think in general, you can do just about anything without capital. Um, and then, yeah, for fundraising, I would say it's about resilience. Like I think that people, I was talking to a friend, she said something to me. I was like, wait, no. I got rejected like a hundred over a hundred times. Like the the lead investor that eventually invested in Dame, I met them a year and a half before they sent me a term sheet. A year and a half, you know, like it was a really long conversation, and on again, off like there were so many things that happened in between, and like and I think no means no, but I also think no can mean. We can still talk, you know, like keep people that are in team interested in your company abreast on, on what's going on. And you never know how things can turn out. Um, I would say then for people who are women, remember that like, I think as an entrepreneur, it's really like every uh, pitch I did, it's always like, what could I have done better? What could I have learned? And I'd like to ask that question too, or like, what, what's, What's stopping you from investing in my company? And the truth is, and those answers are really powerful and you should use them and incorporate them to improve your pitch. But you should also remember that like 2% of capital goes to women or I think it's 
And if you're a woman of color, it's, it's even less, right? Like considerably less. So take that, re- remember that that's real. It's like 0.2% for women of color and sex tech as well. Like um, Cindy Gallup has been raising money for her platform, which is, I think, a really great platform if she finds the right investors because it's, it's make love, not porn, which is beautiful. And there are so many people using it. Yes, there, there are. And I think um, the idea of us watching real sex um, versus just porn is powerful like really powerful i love what cindy's doing um yeah i do also think things are figure outable like you can just get things off the ground you know and get things things should move forward regardless of capital or can but like progress can be non-linear and um so much of what you end up needing capital for too is just like working capital and inventory and then you get finance. It's so, it really is just so expensive to run a business. Like when you were saying earlier, how like when you raise money for an illustrator, that illustrator was in house. That's not what was expensive. Yeah. It's like keeping the servers up, keeping, you know, keeping the, I mean, you have physical products. So you have to think where the space, I think distribution, you have to think all of these things. You have to think prototypes. You have to think all these things. So it's like, it, it's all about, raising money and i was going to ask you like what was your approach to pitching investors on a tech product right yeah my approach was um to help people realize that it's a real need um and then to show them traction And that was something we had pretty early on because of crowdfunding and because of like what, because of what we do. I think different businesses um, can use utilize crowdfunding more easily than others. It depends on what you're doing. Um, like physical products, I think, makes sense on those platforms. Um, so yeah, explain the need, show the market, and show your traction and why you are and can do it. And the statistics from what I remember was that women contribute more to crowdfunding campaigns than men. So it's like, you know, and it's interesting to see if like men actually buy pleasure toys for their wives. I I talked to, they do, because I was talking to so many women, like so many friends of mine that are trying to get pregnant and they're like, I can't get pregnant, I can't get pregnant. I'm like, are you having orgasms like during sex? Have an orgasm, use a toy, use whatever it takes of your partner. I just think that like sex and baby making should be an enjoyable experience. Um, and I also think that like trying to make a baby or whenever we get goal oriented, it can be really stressful. It really cha- can really change the experience of sex. Um, but sex is still super, it also shows why sex is super important, right? Like it's like, it's, just, it's a part of how we literally exist as humans and as a society. Um, and that's incredibly powerful. It took me like two or three months for my body to just like relax when I was starting to have a baby because I was so like, I was working and I was working. My job was so high stress and I realized that I was like so tense. So, you know, and I think sexuality is a great release for, for tension. And I was going to actually ask you, what effect has the pandemic had on women's sexuality? Have you guys been doing, uh, oh, have you ladies, have you women uh, <laughs> doing research yeah we are just more than women too at date we have cis men that work for us um 
So yeah, I, I think that actually more than just for women, the impact on the pandemic has probably been um, two categories. If you're in a relationship, you've had one real experience. And if you were single, you had a very different experience. And that to me feels like the two um, groups or the main experiences. I think that for people in overall, I think, you know, it's decreased the amount of, of sex people were having um, and got people thinking a little bit more intentionally about their sex. And I think overall that will be a really great thing. But for couples, you're in, you're still might be just seeing them constantly. Um, space and separation and distance helps us create the experience of desiring, of wanting something that you, of, of wanting. It's hard to want what's in front of you all the time, constantly. Um, so there is that. And I think that a lot of people have gotten more intentional about creating rituals and um, that allow them to connect with their partner. Um, and then I think single people, you know, it was, it's also different now than it was then, like in the beginning of the pandemic, like, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic, it shut down dating, dating really shifted. And then there was, you know, hot back summer and, and things like that, that, you know, may or may not have happened. Um, and like this kind of reemergence for some people of, of really wanting to go out and have intimacy. But I think what was actually more a bigger surge was a lot of people being like, I want to be really intentional with dating and who I end up having sex with. And that's pretty cool. I know Bumble said that they were seeing a lot of people you know, not looking for hookup culture as much anymore and just really and trying to create real connections with more intention in, in what they were doing. Yeah, I hear that from my my younger friends who are single in New York and they're like, you know, it's just, it, it's really nerve wracking. So I have to make sure that whoever I go meet up with is going to be worth it. And then they're just like, it's not going to be like a random hookup. It's something that's going to hopefully lead to another hookup. So it's like there's a lot more pressure attached to it now, which is, which is really interesting. And, um, which also like makes me think of like you know why is female pleasure such a taboo topic in America you know like whenever we think of like Bumble has definitely changed the game they're wonderful we worked with them before um, they're a really comp they're just an amazing company and they really changed dating habits like them and Match and they've come out of Match because before you used to meet people but now it's like inappropriate to hit on people like in real life you can only like technically hit on people on the internet. And, you know, like, why is female pleasure still such a taboo topic in America? There's a lot of reasons. And I think it's a taboo topic for lots of people and not just um, women, though there is a special intersectionality of women sexuality, for sure. Um, and I think it has a lot to do with religion. I think it has a lot to do with the consequences of having sex. Um, and fear over joy. Um, so that's so those are my simplified reasons for it. I think so too, and I think it's also like nobody talks about female pleasure, especially in porn. Right? It's like there's the female pleasure of like a woman moaning in a porn, but like you, you don't like it looks like it's like at the expense of a man, and there's no like it's it's the male gaze that's always been through through the ages and it's so nice to see a company like dame putting so much 
focus on the female pleasure and actually making it a topic. Like we're actually having a podcast about it and there are ads on the MTA and you can like, this is starting conversations in different households. I think it's really cool. The power of marketing and branding and what it can do as far as trigger real conversations um, and behavioral changes. You know, speaking of the MTA, you won your battle. Um, What was the most frustrating part of going up against such a large establishment? The most frustrating, like things that were really frustrating, so frustrated. Um, I, w- I would say that they, you know, so I knew this from pretty early on. At the end of the day, the MTA can create whatever policy they want to create. They just need to make sure they're being consistent with the policy and how they um, deploy the policy. Um, so they rewrote their policy, and that was really frustrating. Um, that it doesn't even necessarily. I'm interested to see how they implement the new policy. I think the policy was overall frustrating um, to see them change it. And I'm excited to see how that actually gets implemented and what they can do. And I can't remember the exact language of it right now, but they tried to be clearer but they all, and they, about what they're, who they're not going to work with and included more people like cannabis companies, um, which doesn't really have anything to do with the case entirely, but it's just like, oh, so they're trying to be a little bit more restrictive potentially. Um, and I'm just interested to see how all of that really pans out. And meanwhile, MTA is like raising prices up every year and they're like putting the money on the consumer instead of like making more money from advertisers and being more inclusive. I don't know that to be true, right? Like I, they might be... I think that they sell their inventory out generally, even though maybe not so much right now because ridership is down. So I don't know if what their what their revenues would be like if they were allowing all of us to do it. They might be just fine. So I don't but know. Their financial? Like what? What is the financial of the MTA? I How do they- have no idea <laughs> what portion the revenue, like of the ads, makes up for revenue. Um, I have no idea what their P&L looks like. I'd be curious. <laughs> it would be really interesting, right? Because it's like when you get into government things, like um, I became a, are you a woman and a minority-owned company in New York? Did you register as that? I don't think we registered as that. There's this thing in New York where you can register as a woman in a minority company in your business and you get to apply for all these grants and you get all these like benefits. And um, a lot of it is working with government contracts. And like the more I delved into it, I was like, oh my God, like they need to innovate. Like I work in innovation and when it comes to innovation, you're just like, like, I was like, I, I'm like, this isn't even worth it because it's, they're so, they're so outdated that like my head is going to explode working with them. So it's like, there's this wonderful opportunity to be a woman, a minority owned contractor, but then you're like, this defeats it because there's so much red tape. Not surprised by that. Yeah so frustrating and i was like oh boy like here we go and um you know um with your mta when you're definitely gonna open up like more opportunities for women entrepreneurs i know mickey um with tishy is doing a campaign to take on the mta as well because they want to advertise tishy i have one i got one after giving birth and it was amazing like if you had like a normal birth yeah she is phenomenal so like 
Um, Nikki was on the show a while back too, so I'm hoping that she gets a chance to advertise fishy because it's a really wonderful product and there's nothing I've seen about things that we do on a daily basis. Um, but I was going to ask you, like, um, you know, um, what opportunities would you like to see for more uh, female women entrepreneurs coming up? Um, you know, especially when it comes to advertising on social programs, you got your MCA win, right? But like Instagram is still not letting you advertise. Facebook is not letting you advertise. You have to go around them so many times. Like, I think that we should be allowed to advertise on social media. And I think that like advertisements should be based on the messaging and narrative and content. I do think that there is obscene things in the world and that I would not like to see in advertisements that if I were Facebook, I would say this is genuinely inappropriate, like guns maybe, or, you know, it depends. I, I think it's nuanced. Um, but I think that they should shift from being prohibitive of items necessarily and being more prohibitive of like what is in the content of the ads. Like, I don't think that there's anything like, there's nothing obscene about the image of a vibrator. Like, Unless, I mean, maybe that vibrator, I, I don't know. It, it get it is, it is, what is socially acceptable is very fuzzy. So I would just like to see us continue to push in a direction where we can have conversations and about sex toys, acknowledge their worth and their value um, to so many people and the joys that they bring. And do it in a way that feels like it's helping push forward a, a healthy understanding of sexual wellness and not doing anything obscene. And I feel like the, my company, I feel like, is obviously a perfect example of that. And there are lots of other companies out there. Um, and what's crazy to me is the challenges that I have are the same as companies in menopause and like. There are other taboo topics that feel, you know, it's like all, all these taboos are socially constructed, but they feel even just more targeted towards women and more shaming of, they all feel kind of shaming, but I just can't get over when, when I talk to a menopause founder, a founder in a menopause space where they start telling me about the issues they have with Facebook because there really shouldn't be a problem. There's not, you know, or pregnancy, like these things are, I think we're well past that taboo, but apparently we're not. It's interesting. And it's interesting because I think when you start looking at the investors of the companies, like when you start looking at Peter Thiel and be like, oh, he's one of the prime investors of Facebook. Like I can understand why like these policies are being passed. And especially when we're, it's like, who gets to play, right? Like if more women are building technology, maybe they might be more open to women causes. But when you have people designing things that are not fully inclusive, it just makes it so much harder. And like, in a way, it's like you're holding that vibrator and it's like, you know, I wonder if men feel like they're just going to be replaced by vibrators. I think that is some of the fear. And I think that there, I think, but I don't think that there is that much fear. Like at the end of the day, over 50% of women in the U.S. have used a vibrator. Um, and like also Peter Thiel's company, uh, Founders Fund, his fund is invested in Unbound, I believe. So they've invested in a sex toy company. I don't know. It's interesting. And it's complex. And I don't think... Uh, <laughs> 
I don't, I don't think it's just that fear, though that fear exists. I think it's this idea of how do we talk about sex in, in a public forum? Like the, I just, the idea of talking about sex is considered to be inappropriate. Well, it's not like there's a talk show that exists that you could like listen to every day that would talk about all these talk shows. (laughs) (laughs) There's not like one place that you go to, like from like, if you look at the life cycle of a person, right? Like from when they're like becoming curious, like girls become sexually mature, like a lot earlier than boys, you know, like I, you know, speaking from my girlfriends too, you know, like I was, I was like, having feelings when I was like four or five like I was like oh cute boy who's that like oh I like that you know like where boys just seemed a little clueless until like puberty kind of hit in and and so it's like there's a disconnect with ages but then testosterone comes into the equation and there's an estrogen and you get all these hormones but like school doesn't do a good job of educating anybody about sexual pleasure you know you're happy if you have a sex class and that's very like that is very like biology driven that's like there's the uterus there's you know there are the testes but there's nothing concerning emotions and there's nothing concerning sexual wellness that's true and to me what's crazy about or like what's really wild is that emotions are emotions and communication are key to adulting we don't teach them at all really maybe a little bit of comms and writing but just like, how do you have difficult conversations? How do you address your own emotions? How do you take care of your of your mind? It's just, at the end of the day, it's what makes life feel good. And I mean, don't have those conversations at all. And for me, I really do believe that sex can be such an amazing tool and path in life to realize, you know, you can feel good in your body and that you should feel good. And there are things you like and there are things you don't like. And that that's really important to understand who you are so you can go out and communicate better in the world and treat people well and then there's a life cycle to sex too because it comes from like when we're growing up as a little child and as women our bodies change more than men like we have all these things that we go through we go through menopause we give birth so i know that like for me like every 10 15 years like i'm like oh my god i get a new body like as soon as i get comfortable with my body it shifts and i become a new person and I think sex changes as you get older because now I'm thinking about like, what is sex going to be like after menopause? What is sex going to be like, like in my 60s, 70s when like my vagina dries up? Like this is stuff that like women don't talk about. And it's like, how do, how do we sexual libido going with our partners into 60s, 70s and 80s, which is like, nobody talks about that. But like nursing homes have some of the highest sex rates and STDs. Uh, you know, they get it on due to Viagra and all that stuff. Yes, yeah, sex changes throughout our body, through throughout our lives. Um, I do think that women's bodies also kind of like I think change more and cycle more. So there's an experience just there and having a vagina. But I also do think um, that's kind of like the beauty of it. It's like it, it becomes new in some ways, and we have to like reapproach it and reunderstand it and decide if we're going to prioritize it in our lives. Right. Oh, that's such a good point, right? Prioritizing sexual being. Oh, that is such a strong point, right? Because some people really prioritize that and some people don't even think about it. Some people are just like asexual. Something I love to teach people about is like, there's two main 
arousal response cycles. Like there's spontaneous arousal and then there's... You can Google it. Take the time. (laughs) Spontaneous desire and responsive desire. So responsive desire is like spontaneous desire is like when you're walking around in life and all of a sudden you see something, whatever, all you're horny and you just spontaneously feel like, you know, this happened to us a lot when we were going through puberty. You, for no reason around you, nothing should be sexy. And all of a sudden you're horny and you're like eating dinner with your grandparents, right? Like that's spontaneous desire. That's kind of how we come into our sexual being. And then I think we end up often more in a responsive desire, like things like somebody touches you and, or like your husband gives you a massage and you kind of, your body becomes aroused because you're letting it respond to an experience. So like at the beginning, like I think a lot of times, like when you're in a committed relationship for a long time and there's the beginning of a sexual experience, deciding to to just calm down for a second and let your body respond is a prioritization it is a choice and it is an equally valid way of experiencing sexual desire and having a libido i love the fact that it's on um, christmas season and you spent the last few days running around the city hiding uh vibrators under trees and giving it out to strangers yeah i was on the subway i was mostly trying to do that around and on the subway like getting on the cars that had our advertisements on them and just like handing it out vibrant. So that was fun. It was just hard. Thank you. Yeah. I wanted to just talk to people and say most of the people I spoke to were just like, yeah, these ads should totally be allowed. I don't understand why the ads weren't allowed. And I think it's a new century, right? It's like, why isn't this happening? And, and I wanted to um, kind of pivot the conversation a little bit to being non-binary. I'm non-binary. You're non-binary. And we're both moms. And we're both married to men, which, you know, like sometimes people are like, oh, like sometimes people don't know what to make of non-binary people. And like, I don't understand it. And, um, you know, I was going to talk to you about being non-binary and like competitive advantage. You know, like sometimes, you know, do you feel like you have, a way to see life from like two perspectives like you know there's two spirits in native american culture but me being non-binary i always felt like i didn't really fit in everywhere but then like i also had two perspectives on things just the way you phrased it is so interesting to me because i think there's just i mean obviously there are so many more so much more than just two perspectives but i understand what you're saying because to me it just also feels like well my perspective feels different too it's my one different perspective um, that's neither feminine or masculine. Um, in some ways it feels like it's both. Um, in some ways it feels like its own thing. Um, and yeah, I do think that feeling comfortable being more than a woman has been helpful for me. And even like this, like I think, feel, I don't know. whether it's negotiating or whatever it is, I, I just feel like it's it's been, yeah, I think it's been helpful. It's also been really, it's been hard. And I, you know, it is hard to understand. I find it hard to understand, um, like what this really means for me. Um, so I don't know if I'm answering your question. Do I feel like, is it, 
I always think I feel like just feeling different than some uh, being able to identify with a, with the um, non-dominant perspective in a culture, I think can be a real advantage. So for example, I feel like one, just because I think you have more empathy and compassion for when you are in the dominant culture or when you do hold more power in the space, you can more easily identify with what it's like to have less power in the space because in other spaces you have less power. Um, but yeah, I don't know. So I guess I think it's an advantage in that way. Oh, and also like for me with vibrators, like because nobody considered the pleasure of people with vulvas and vaginas for so long. There's so much innovation being left on the table. I think there are so many great tools that haven't been invented yet that I, my team gets to go off and ponder and invent because people, because we, because we didn't put attention to it. So there's like this real great opportunity now um, for my team to do something because it, because we were overlooked for so long. It's so interesting you bring up overlook because I feel like, you know, I'm in this shape of a female and I work in a very male dominant space, which is advertising, you know, being a creative director in New York for a long time, it was mostly men. Um, and I'm older, and I'm 43. So when I started out, there weren't any female creative directors. And then working in the tech startup space, innovation space, and sometimes I get frustrated because they see me as, as just like a woman. And I feel like sometimes I'm saying things but like my words don't land because I'm not like in male form. And I'm like, they don't really, it, it's weird that like how people perceive you, right? Again, it's like back to stereotypes of like, okay, you're a woman, whatever. And it's like, it, it's, I wish there was a level playing field where people just like valued your opinions versus the vessel that it was coming out of. And I think, I think that's why I do so much work for women because we've always had, a really hard time getting our ideas through even if they were brilliant and especially if you're an attractive woman that gets another layer added to it as well because that becomes a distraction so it's so complicated and it's like it, it can have its own podcast like easily and i just you know it's so nice to connect with more non-binary people and be able to have these conversations and be like i'm feeling this way how are you feeling what's been your experience so do you prefer they or your pronouns? I prefer she, like, a, you know, more female dominant, but it's like, you know, like I do have like, you know, I, I've never looked at, you know, like when I told my mom, I was like, well, at first I started out in school, I was like, I'm bi. And then I was like, you know, eventually I was like non-binary. And my mom's like, well, that just means you just sleep with everyone. And I'm like, no, I don't. It's like, I'm very picky. I'm also like, very like, very monogamous like i'm a serial monogamous but like it just means that like i'm open like i can be married to a woman i can be married to a man i'm attracted to people like i'm a sapiosexual so i'm attracted to people's minds and i'm attracted to them as a human i don't really see their shape like the shape obviously helps but like you know it brings the them into reality but i i really fall in love with people for like their spirit so i think it's such an interesting conversation that a lot of people don't have that you know that should be had i was gonna ask you um you know what is your dream as an adult my dream as an adult to find the perfect work-life balance for myself and my team 
it's not really feasible. I know the answer is like, you know, it constantly changes and there are, you know, balances about a push and a pull and a constant push and a pull. Um, so I think that's hard, but that, that, that's what I would like. I mean, I don't, I also have, you know, I think bigger dreams too, but I'll go with that for right now. Yeah. What are some bigger dreams? Do you want to share them or you want to keep them private for a bit? Yeah, I don't know if they have form yet. I just, I would like to do that for more and more people. Like I just want to help life be more pleasurable for, for as many people as I can. And I do feel like starting a business has been one of the most powerful ways that I can really, you know, create space and create community and create work-life balance or create, I don't know, just like the change and like as a business, you like there's a government, there's all these things that help create what your experience of life is and your work culture is a huge part of that. So creating that um, has been a really rewarding aspect of my life. And I'd like to continue doing that. I'd love to build more businesses that are successful and great places to work and innovative and also bring something new to the world and a new perspective and lens. That's lovely. I think that's lovely. I was going to ask you quickly, how have you been adjusting to the pandemic as a parent and as a business owner? I've been like, I feel like I'm shot out of a cannon every day. I've got my husband right now at home who's, who's working from home. And then my mom has been coming over and then I'm getting a nanny because I'm like, I can't, like my mom can't do everything. And I think that the child, child care is really, really, it's, it's unbelievable. If you can afford it, I'm, then it, you know, like right now my daughter is with the nanny. Um, and it, it, it's expensive and it was it's something like, I feel like I want to sit women down who are pregnant and be like, this is how much it costs in New York. And I want you to know that because you didn't know that before. And I spent so much time on the internet trying to figure out like what financially it was going to look like to have childcare. And one, I don't, shouldn't just be like, you know, the vagina haver side to figure this out, but you know, full-time nanny in New York could range. It, it depends on how you do it. If you do like a nanny share, but like could be anywhere from like 30 to $50,000 a year plus too, of course. Um, and that may just be Brooklyn or whatever. That's when I was looking, it's a huge expense. Um, but that's how I do it. That's definitely for me, it feels completely worth it. Um, and if child's care, there are so many other ways of getting child care, but I think that that is, that's the way I've been able to figure it out for me. Yeah. I'm slowly going to that because I'm like, it's just, it's like, there's no book that somebody gives you when you have a baby. There's no like, like when I had a baby, they're like, okay, now you have to feed it every two hours. And I was like, what? That's for the all. next five months. And I was like, thousands of books in case you're wondering. And, you know, and I think one of the best pieces of advice was somebody was like, don't read any of the books. So like, <laughs> I, I, it's so funny that you're like, you know, I, I think it's great. Like, don't read the books. Like there is no rule. There are no rules. Like, yeah. And it, it's such a, it, it's such a fun experience. I don't know. I've really been enjoying it. Um, and connecting with people over it in a way that I just, you know, like I, I was really a and still am like I still like I don't want to be or I don't identify as like 
the kind of parent that wants to talk about my kid all the time. I love talking about work and business and what's going on in the world and art and music and just there's so much. Um, but it's also really nice, like, to have this commonality with a whole new group of people to, to be a parent or in, to, to look at somebody else and be like, Oh, we're going to this crazy experience. We're taking this ride together separately, but together. Um, that was something I hadn't considered was just like the way the world feels more connected now to me. Definitely. I agree. And I'm also looking for non-binary, non-binary mom groups too, because I wonder what's going to be like a little different with that versus like the standard mom groups. Cause and, and, you know, more like entrepreneur groups too, because again, you want that conversation. You're like, I've been doing product and now like now I'm a mom and it's shifting. So it's like, and then you talk to people like, you know, it's all these different conversations, but I know you are super busy and it's almost 11 o'clock. So I'm going to let you go, but thank you so much for taking the time and keep in touch and play date if I'm in the city or something, whatever. And if anything I can help you with, send a shout. And I love all the work that you guys, uh, that you ladies, I keep on saying guys, it's something I really want to change. I actually kind of feel seen by hey guys. Bye, dear. Have a good day. Bye. Thanks for tuning into the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Dream Nation Love. It's not Dream Nation Podcast, it's Dream Nation Love because I think my single mission in life is to teach people how to love a little bit more and together we can save the world. So it's Dream Nation Love. Share it with your friends. Have a great day and go out and make the world a better place.